Welcome to Athletes to Entrepreneurs, the Alumni Journey. I'm Rob Finkelstein, founder and CEO of Alumni Direct. We've created a platform to help alumni network and connect within their affinity groups, whether they're athletes, college alumni, it could be business professionals, it could be fraternity sororities, but we've created this show uh, to really address the issues of athletes transition out of sports. It's become such a major problem today between mental health and financial literacy and just other things, and we really want to make an impact on helping these athletes do that. And so what we've done is we interview former collegiate professional athletes and talk about their journey out of sports. And it's all about teaching, inspiring that there is in fact life after sports. So we're really excited today to have Dr. Joe Shattuck on with us. Uh, how you doing today? Oh, doing great. Thanks for having me, Rob. I appreciate it. Uh, it's a pleasure. So uh, Dr. Joe, she was a college racquetball player but as she was doing that, she was also a professional racquetball player. And for 10 years running, she was in the top 10 in the world, got all the way up to number six. So really exciting to have her on there. I think you are the first racquetball player. So thank you. <laughs> try, try to cover all sports for sure. Uh, and then ultimately went through some different things that we'll talk about. But she's now the founder and CEO of a really exciting uh, sports technology. It could be used for other things as well called Panther Tech. So uh, I always like to find, you know, ask that question. Um Growing up playing sports, how did that shape you up until like high school and college? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I knew I always wanted to be a professional athlete and a neuroscience and uh, or neuroscientist. And uh, I went through I was going to be a professional dart player and I got little Kmart darts and was in the basement <laughs> throwing them. And then I was going to be a professional boxer, like the first female boxer. And I got my dad's army duffel bag and hung it up and it was full of clothes and I punched it and and then I was going to be a professional soccer player. So, I mean, I, I just always knew I wanted to do that thing. I wanted to be good at something. It wasn't until I was 17 when I first picked up a racquetball racket. I was like, ah, oh, this this could be it. This could be the thing. Um, yeah, it's not it, easy. It, like anything worthwhile, it's not easy. No, you got to work hard. And I mean, I it's, uh, you know, I, I always joke around and say, you know, I wanted to be a professional baseball player, which I did. I wanted to be. Uh, unfortunately, the talent wasn't there. So I do what I do today. <laughs> Uh, so, so what kind of talk a little bit about, um, you know, being ultimately being a professional athlete to talk about that skill set that you did developed along the way that so like, as you were playing sports growing up, talk a little bit about that athlete skill set. Yeah, you know, it's funny, it's uh, you wake up, what whatever you call the skills, to me, it comes in something inside that says you wake up and you think, how can I get better today? And that was one of the one of the things that that um, kind of guide me is, is is if you can move, there's always a, a way to get better, right? It's not like you're you're done learning, just like anything else in life, I think. So for me, it was the process of getting better. Now that said, I think that hindered me in a way towards my towards my goal of being number five in the world, because I always identified as an underdog, always. It was always there was something else I could do, something else I could do. And so kind of the moving the goalpost is, is I, I, I was never not never satisfied, but I never let myself be, be in the, the top dog spot. Uh, and for whatever reason, I always wanted to be, I don't know. It was, it was a weird sort of, I want to say self-sabotage. That's kind of severe. I don't, I don't mean that way. And yeah. then I would throw a match or anything, but, but is it, I, I was more relaxed being, being, um, trying to get to the top than being on top. And I think in a way, looking back, that hurt me a little bit. Yeah, you know, that's a, I, you think about that, you're right. I mean, I can see that too. I, I was a runner in high school and college and I, you're right. I think you get to a point where, because sometimes I think to get to that number one top spot too, there's so much, maybe even more involved in dedication that 
you know, like people want to have a life too. So it's just the, all that dedication to sports. So that, I mean, that, I'm sure that kind of plays into it as well. So um, one thing that we talk about, and, and like I said in the beginning, um, it's a difficult process when athletes transition out of sports. So um, when you were going to school, and I know we talked a little bit offline, but um, did you see programs, um, and, and it didn't necessarily be racquetball, but across all sports where there was efforts by the school to kind of develop, you know, curriculum or workshops to show athletes, you know, what to look at next after sports. No. And, and I went to school quite a while ago and, and uh, you know, if you see, do you feel prepared for life after high school? No. Do you feel prepared for life after college? No. And I would say even more so, uh, which is great to have companies like yours is that so much focus for a D one athlete or D two athlete even is on the sport that you get out and there's no skill set left to say what's after sport, right? Which is obviously the whole mission. Um, fortunately, uh, you know, I, I self-sufficient at 17 since, since I grew up, but, but uh, I, I learned the things the hard way like everyone else, but I didn't also have the pressure of, of being a D1 athlete. It was just my own sort of career going forward. Um, I don't think there's enough, of any of that, even for non-athletes is like you said, financial literacy. I mean, in home ec, we learned how to make sweatpants and that was, you know, 30 years ago. I don't know what you guys did, but, but definitely a need for uh, all the things that as a young adult, you should know when you transition out of your sport career. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Cause you're right. I mean, you, you brought it up just anybody. Cause I mean, you talk about nowadays, you don't have to worry about balancing checkbooks and things like that, or, yeah, you know, another thing that kind of comes into that, even talking uh, about financial literacy is um, is NIL, name, image, likeness. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, you know, it, it's always a hot topic when we talk about it. Um, maybe you can give me your thoughts on that, like positive, negative, you know, seeing what what's going on today in, in the sports landscape with uh, NIL. I think it, it capitalized uh, young talent. Uh, and by capitalized, I mean, you know, added the let's see, the capital economy to uh, sport is that a lot of folks were making a lot of money off of a lot of young athletes and, and they were benefiting in some way, but, but not monetarily. Um, Honestly, I don't know. I don't have a a strong opinion yet. I think that when we played, we played, you know, pro ragball is not much money in it. And you did it for the passion and the love. uh, You didn't get scholarships. If you did, it was book scholarships, that kind of thing. Um, but I don't know. I'm I'm torn uh, with the pros and the cons of NIL, although I do think, you know, sort of distribution of wealth when it's made by a lot of people and then enjoyed only by little people. I'm all right. I'm all right with some sort of switch that way. Yeah, it's interesting that that has come up on a couple of, uh, of my uh, more recent podcasts talking about that is just to have that um more equity. I mean, you, you know, you have athletes, you know, some of them, you know, the, the stories you usually hear are the ones of these, you know, making hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, whatever, but uh, there are a, a lot of opportunities and a lot of companies and sponsors getting involved. And, you know, some of the things we've seen, like there was one I saw recently, I also do a, a, another podcast called NIL for you. And we talk about educating people on NIL. And mm-hmm. there was a story about um, how this whole team, you know, got, the the nil money so it wasn't just the one athlete who spread across and you know you might not see that in the majors like football and and basketball but some of these other sports are it seems like in a lot of the women's sports too um being more equitable across the line Mm -hmm. 
That, that's interesting bringing that up. When I did my uh, doctorate in Nebraska, we did a study on older football players. Um, this this is a concussion study, but it relates because similarly, you, know, you got the best years out of them, and then they were sort of left on their own to deal with CTE and uh, you know healthcare bills and medical bills and just how do you navigate life, right? Um, and so it's good to see that that uh, if NIL brings that kind of culture along is that yes, monetize your, your, your athletic talent and your things now, but also have some education for how to keep residual income in the future. That, yeah. That's a- uh, uh, no, no doubt. And that's, that's the key there, the residual income in the future. And just the, it gets back to what I was talking about before, like from an education perspective, is that I think, it, you know, the consensus is it's great, but also, the, the some of the drawbacks kind of tie into that education pieces if they don't know about financial literacy you know there's there's stories out there where you know spending you know nil money or getting a certain amount that takes uh, an athlete over the threshold of the family income which then they lose their scholarship and i mean something like that should never happen so yeah, it's right. all there there needs to be more uh, from the education side so um one of the other things we always talk about and and obviously uh us at alumni directors, we're trying to build these these communities, uh, alumni communities for um, colleges and, and and athlete communities, mm-hmm. is um, just that whole idea of a alumni connection. So uh, again, do you see, um, and maybe not specifically in your case, because I know like you know when you played, and maybe even same thing with me, it was a while ago. But do do you see instances more where schools are encouraging their athletes, alumni athletes, to come back and? not just to come back for events, but to kind of work with these athletes and kind of help them through some of these different areas that we're talking about. That's a great idea. Um, I went to my undergrad in Louisiana Tech a long time ago and then kind of went back to school uh, for the master's and doctorate. Um, and I was never involved in in the alumni part, but uh, I think in addition to when universities reach out to alumni, oftentimes it's just, hey, can you fund our new stadium or can you fund our new weight room or whatever? Right. And it really should be, like you say, funding programs to give these these young adults, uh, let's call it competence lessons and competency after sport. When I retired and just I, I retired December 18th, 2010, it's the middle of the season. There's a whole story about it. I sat on the couch for six months and cried and know who I was. Um, but thankfully, I was, you know, I, I lived enough life. I was 39, I think. I was I was older. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, how nice would it have been uh, to to have a program or something that would say this is this is what to expect after you stop doing the thing that you've only known for your whole life. Right. That would be great. Yeah, um, no, no doubt. And then, uh, you know, we, we always encourage, you know, people to tap into their alumni network. Cause I think people are willing to help. And I, I think it's, you have that special affinity um, relationship. So whether it would have been like say Louisiana tech, like as well, it's alumni there or even alumni from the racquetball sport or, or other sports like we talked about. I mean, it, it's something that that's um, I think really important and it, and it kind of ties into, um, you know, aside from just those alumni connections uh, we like to talk about networking and the importance of networking and um uh, so talk a little about your thoughts on networking, um, you know, maybe from when you were younger and then maybe kind of like, you know, now today and, and advice on that. Yeah. So racquetball is a, an individual sport, but there, there was, uh, you know, a group of you know, 50 of us, 30 of us that traveled around to pro tournaments from August to May. Um, I'm still in contact with those folks, but when I started Panther tech, 
I've probably done more networking in the last three years than I have in the last 20 years. Uh, and part of the reason was I opened the lab here in March of 2020, which is right before uh, the pandemic shut everything down. So all you had was a Zoom camera. And so every day, just like you, you know, you're meeting people, talking to people. Um, and when you need something, you know, you can't see, you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know the person over there who you don't know their name and they have, you know, tons of connections to others. Even before the show, Rob, you and I were talking about, you know, how we can help each other and who knows who and all that. Um, and there's so much noise out there. It's, it's, uh, it's good to have, let's say a personal connection referral to networking and every call. now that I've, I'm a little more mature, I end with, if someone helps me, uh, make contacts or know who to talk to. Even then I always ask, well, how can I help you? Cause maybe there's somebody that I know that you don't know that I know. And, right. and that, that's how it goes. So um, I can't say enough uh, about learning to network and ending every call with great. How can I help you? you uh, never that, know. Yeah. And that's awesome. Cause I mean, I, I live that way as well. I think it's always about if, if you're willing to help other people, they'll be willing to help you. And, and if they're not, then obviously, you know, you, you have a few connection contacts with them and then you just kind of go separate ways. I mean, I think yeah. the people that are, that foster that giving mentality uh, have a lot of success. And then the other thing too, is we always talk about, it might not necessarily be who you're networking with, but it could also be who they know too, you know, and, and we've had that conversation. I mean, we were talking before, like you said, about, you know, like me knowing somebody um, like you say, okay, well, you know, how might Rob be able to help? Well, you know, I know somebody who could possibly help, you know, with your company. So that, that's the kind of thing we're talking about there. But yeah. um, I think the key is, and, and you talked about is, is also doing as an athlete, doing while you're still playing. Like I remember talking to one agent and they said um, the best time to network and connect is, is when you're still playing. Um, so you, you kind of touched on a little bit with that network of racquetball players. So maybe, maybe expand a little bit about that um, and, and how that worked for you. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Um so a lot of a lot of pros on the tour. I was one of the lucky ones that, that could make a living at it. So I just did racquetball. A lot of the others uh, had part-time jobs or other sport-related jobs. Um, but there's a whole world out there that you don't know of that that would help. It's like for me, um, I started coaching the Olympic Training Center because a, a student knew knew someone that knew a coach, and and he finally became my coach after how many years. Um, and then training the Olympic Training Center, that's you know, some credibility. And then I taught some other camps and there's no money in pro racquetball. So um, you, you travel around and you know, before or after term, you'd hustle a clinic or a couple of camps or, or some private lessons. And those people would would and racquetball is a, a niche sport. Right. So um, you could probably in, in the 80s, you could throw up a stick and land on somebody and played racquetball. Right. So it was a, a wonderful connector to folks that you would otherwise have no connection with. Um, and that's the secret, right? Of networking is, is you don't know, but you still, you still go. Maybe that's the, that's a good phrase. <laughs> there you go. We, we um, coined it on the show. Yeah. Dr. Joe, yeah. Dr. Joe told you how to do it. So, right. <laughs> that, that's great. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's something that people should definitely, um, try to do of and, and you know like we said i mean the big thing is fostering that that uh the helping spirit so let's talk about um your transition out of sport and you kind of alluded to it before you said you kind of sat on your couch for about six months and, and you know kind of probably depressed crying like it's over so talk about um that time and how you got through it and then then we'll kind of go through just you know the journey that it took you to where you are today yeah so uh like i said i retired uh it's it's forged in my brain but um uh, 
I retired middle of a season. Uh, the year before, I was number six, the best I had done. And But essentially, the story is uh, I was in the hotel room ready to go for a match, and I thought something had been wrong with me for a few months. I just wasn't feeling right. I wasn't feeling myself. I have some weird disease or cancer, and I sat up in bed, and I realized I think I'd rather be doing something else. And that morning, and I asked my friend Anthony Herrera, who uh, props, he's still in the game. Um, he said, well... I said, well, but if I stop, I don't know who I am. And he goes, well, you're Joe the Pro. That's what they called me back in the day, Joe the Pro. But anyway, um, long story. So I uh, played my match that day, middle of a tournament, and I had a couple of timeouts left. And in my mind, and this is weird, I thought, if I don't take the timeout, I can still come back. Like I could not play this tournament, not play season and come back. And, so, and some switch just went off, and I'm like, no, I, I think I'm done. Um yeah, so I took the time out and done, cried for six months, didn't know who I was or what I was going to do. Uh, I had started doing my um, neuroscience research at CU Anschutz, and I eventually ended up getting a, a faculty position there after my doctorate. But um, I don't know how I got through. I think it was just time. The interesting thing was, Rob, I couldn't watch any competing for about three years after I retired. Not even like poker on ESPN or lawnmower racing or family feud. Oh, wow. I, I know it was so weird. I couldn't watch certainly not any sport. So uh yeah, it, it was it was weird. Um yeah. I don't know if that, that answered your question, but yeah, no, it, it, so I mean, why don't I guess what kind of advice do you have for athletes as they come to that moment, whether it's as a collegiate player? Now, I mean, technically, you'd be a high school player, but let's say as a collegiate athlete or a professional athlete, advice to them, um, now looking back with your retrospective, how to kind of handle that transition and be positive about it, about the next steps in your life. Right, right. So, okay. So I play ragball for, uh, competitively for about 23 years. Um, I also, like I said, I coach. So my whole, my whole income, my whole life, my whole uh, circle of influence was just, it was absolutely just racquetball. What I did, and this thanks to mom, um, she said, life's too short. Do anything you don't want to do for two weeks. So that, you know, take that with a grain of salt because you got to pay your bills. But um, if there's something that even interests you a little bit, try it. Right. So uh, just like when I was growing up and I was going to be a you know boxer and a dart thrower and a frisbee, whatever else I wanted to be a pro athlete, I tried, I tried a bunch of things. So before my advice would be before you when you start to see the end for yourself even in the off season you know listen to podcasts like yours listen to other uh, athletes what they did if you've always wanted to be interested in cooking take a cooking class right there's so much out there that you don't know because you've been so consumed as i was for you know 25 years so if you like it try it do some traveling um, but, but not in the sense that, oh, my God, I got to figure out what I have to do next. Um, continually learning about what's in the world because the world's continually changing, too. So that would be my advice. And then also um, talk to other athletes. After I retired, I had a few of the other pro players call me and ask me what it was like when I retired. Uh, and, you know, I just spent a couple of couple of sessions just chatting and saying what what happened to me and what I did. And um, I thankfully found neuroscience, uh, got a job at, at the campus there and, and kind of the rest led me here, but it all centered around human movement. That was my, my passion is uh, the only of, of all the things you can control in competitive sport. 
your own movement of your body is one of the easiest ones, right? And so that's that's probably why you know I have this company now that deals with movement. Yeah, that that's interesting. So I mean, you kind of see so you basically, yeah, a lot. Of, you know, racquetball is a lot of movement too, obviously, and I mean that would I'm sure lead to it. So um, you went through and you got your degrees in neuroscience and started different things. So um, talk about um, you know now talk about Panther Tech and um, you know kind of tell us about the product and and what you're doing to help make an impact with uh, with uh, fellow athletes. Excellent. Glad you asked. So um, when, like I said, when I was competing, we all did other things. I was the pro at the Denver Athletic Club for about seven years and some athletes would fly in with me and we'd do two a days. Um, and I, I had to become kind of a stroke expert of sorts and biomechanically because I started so late. So I didn't have the mature strokes that some of the other uh, pros did. So I, I quickly learned that and then that kind of became my teaching specialty. So athletes would fly in, we'd do two days, they'd go back home and then they'd come back a few months later. And it was like, they they didn't retain the mechanical changes that we had made or they just, they couldn't retrieve it as quickly as I wanted them to. So we'd spend the first couple of days catching up back to where they were. And I realized there had to be a better way to store the sensation of movement or to, to save the instruction because an athlete needs to experience a sensation of optimal movement, be able to replicate it, and then when the coach is not around, recognize it and retrieve it because that's the basis of muscle memory, right? So those four things. So as I was teaching, and, and you know this too, if you've taught anyone anything, is that you use words and metaphors and pictures and say, Rob, make your body do that. You see his leg there, you see his arm, or pretend your arm is a piece of spaghetti or uh, you know, push or pull. Any of the verbs that we use to try to get a person to experience a sensation of movement. And then they do it and you get that aha face. Oh, okay, that. And then they, you know what I'm talking about. And then yeah. they spend the rest of the practice retrieving that, right? So if there was a way that you could save that, and, and what we've did is we've made these wearable sensors, devices you can wear anywhere. It's got motors in them. They learn the movement with the athlete and then teach it back to them with vibrations felt through the body, through the device on the body part. Uh, rehab is an easy way to think of it as if I'm trying to do a you know shoulder range of motion, right? And I don't want to go past here, um, but the tissue's healing, then uh, essentially kind of guide you through this movement. So there's, there's never, our phrase is no wasted reps. That's a whole other thing about movement variability and ecological dynamics and all that stuff about motor learning. But in theory, it's not no wasted rep. Every rep is the same, is that every repetition has quality. And you know it as your coach, you watch your your athletes practice and you're like, oh, that, that's, that's learning a bad habit, right? So the whole idea is to uh, improve, uh, accelerate muscle memory with coach directed. So there's no, there's no knowledge in it. It doesn't know anything about baseball or golf or racquetball or anything. It's just a tool for movement educators to communicate beyond the words and the metaphors that we do now. And then the athlete can take it home and practice and be able to more easily retrieve that sensation of optimal movement. We just started testing the remote control part of it where, Rob, if you had one of these at home, I could coach you uh, from just from my desktop, even if you were in another city getting ready for a tournament. Um, and so, well, company, we're in a soft launch. Um, we're, they're available, but uh, the features are still being tweaked and getting feedback on them. So. How does the, uh, you're talking about like it, it, it vibrates. So like it, it vibrates if you're doing it the correct way or. Excellent question. There's actually four training modes based on motor learning. 
Um, and Panther Tech actually stands for Principles of Athletics and Neuroscience Toward Human Expertise Plus Technology. So there's the instruction mode, which I teach it the correct, the optimal behavior, and it vibrates when that's replicated. There's the habit break, which I teach. I show it the wrong thing. Like a lot of times, uh, think of a head fake in basketball. You know, the guy that every time they catch a ball, they do a head fake, even if they're at half court, <laughs> which obviously makes no sense. Right. So that's a bad habit, right? Nobody's going to buy that. Oh, so you might put it on the forehead or the back of the neck, and that would kind of give you the bad beep. Hey, you know that thing you're not supposed to do? You just did that. So it's all about kinesthetic awareness, what your body's doing. There's another one, uh, two other modes. One is a uh, sensory motor exploration, which I won't get into the theory, but it, it's that you don't just always want to be here when you're shooting a free throw, right? A vertical forearm. Right. You're shooting. You need to know how to get to here from a lot of different places. You might catch the ball at your feet. You might have to pivot. You might dribble. You might grab it here, but you need to know here, right? So in that case, you teach the cat the desired position, let's say vertical forearm, and it rewards you <clears throat> with silence. So do everything you need to do when you get to the right place, rewards you with silence. So there's four different training modes based on neuroscience, obviously. Interesting. And, and obviously, like you probably couldn't wear it while you're actually in a game, right? <laughs> no, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. It's not a wearable, even though it can be worn. Okay, so it's, I got gotcha. you. It's a tool used intermittently to increase awareness. So if it takes you 15 minutes to get your athlete to, to feel hip shoulder separation in any kind of rotational hipping right. sport, maybe it takes you two minutes and then they can retrieve that more quickly. So that's the idea. Gotcha. Well, very interesting. And and I, I encourage people to, to go out now. I, I always joke, you know, old school, tell people how they can find you. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, www.panthertech.net. Um, we're on LinkedIn and Twitter, or it's not Twitter anymore, it's X. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, panthertech.net. I'm Joe Shattuck at panthertech.net. There's the thing. And we'll share some links and just, you can find me anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll definitely put that in the, in the, uh, the show notes and all that. And you can find us uh, on alumnidirect.com. You can follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook and Again, X and all the other things. And um, this show, Athletes, Entrepreneurs, Alumni Journey, we're on our uh, on a YouTube channel for Alumni Direct, and then we're also across all the different podcast networks. But I encourage people to watch and listen. We've got great guests like Dr. Joe that come on and just really sharing advice. We do want to make a positive impact on athletes uh, in helping them uh, in all facets of transitioning out of sports and and giving them the proper resources and, and ways to, uh, to benefit in the future. So, uh, Joe, it was great having you on. We really appreciate it. Rob, thanks so much. And you keep doing what you do. Really important. Uh, thank you. Will do.